0: Now entering Nerdist.com Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast Episode 57 The Enterprise Incident
1: Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray, and my co-host John Champion is mentally unfit for today's show. I kill you. I kill you. Shh. You'll get over it. Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, analyzing it for messages, morals, and meanings, and trying to figure out whether all of it stands the test of time. I kill you. I kill you, dude. I know. We would, of course, love to hear from you, people listening as well. There are a few ways that you can reach us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. You can call us, 323 522 5641. You can email us at missionlog at Roddenberry.com. That email address again is missionlog at Roddenberry.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
2: And I'm John Champion.
1: What was that? What was what? You don't remember threatening my life, like, at the beginning of the show? No. Interesting. There appears to be a lot of that going around now. Hey, let me ask you a question. You feel up to telling people what we're watching today? Sure. It's the Enterprise Incident. The Enterprise Incident. And that title would um, refer to?
2: Well, it's the the time that that thing happened on the Enterprise.
1: (laughs) Remember? All right. So, sort of spelled like it sounds. Fair enough. You, you seem to have recovered from whatever it was that happened at the beginning of the show. By the way, you're going to love the opening of the show when you hear it. Uh, you feel up to doing a little trivia for us as well today, sir.
2: Absolutely, I do. So uh, in the Enterprise incident, we want to, first of all, address that beautiful, glorious Klingon D7-class cruiser. Were you thrilled when you got to see that, Ken? This is the third time we've seen it for the first time. Uh, and what I mean by that is that the original model of that ship was created and filmed for an earlier third season episode that happened to be scheduled for broadcast later. We'll get to that. Now, we've been watching, uh, for the most part, the remastered series, which means that that ship actually shows up in Errand of Mercy and The Trouble of Tribbles. Um, This, however, would be the very first time that we would see the model in the original run of Star Trek, and it is just one of those kind of iconic ship designs that kind of is an obvious one. You have to get it back into the remastered early and often. Um, there is uh, one change, though, uh, for the remastered episode that is very interesting. The Romulan paint job on the bottom of the Klingon ships. I don't know if you noticed that, Ken, uh, that you actually have the bird of prey feathers on the bottom of the, uh, the Klingon cruiser. And the addition of an original Romulan bird of prey. So just like the one that we saw in Balance of Terror. You get to see that along with a couple of the Klingon ships.
1: Was having the Klingon design be part of the Romulan fleet just a way to save money on spaceship models?
2: Well, here's the thing. They had spent the money on that beautiful Klingon ship for the third season, and they just kind of thought, you know, we need to get our money's worth out of this. (laughs) So it was (laughs) a way to save money. So it was a way to save money, uh, but it, it wasn't a last minute decision. And it was actually written into the script early uh, that, that we would see that model in there. But um, we'll get no explanation. It, well, no, no. But, okay. but to me, I mean, it, it actually helps to explain stuff that we see coming up later in later Star Trek TV series and movies. I, in my mind, the Romulans and the Klingons are neighbors and they just keep going to each other's garage sales. <laughs> you know, picking up ships, disruptor weapons, all that stuff. Whatever you got. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Also, speaking of the original script, uh, in the original notes, uh, they had it that the cloaking device was a newer model. So they specifically said this was a newer model than what we saw before, because, of course, we've seen it before. Um, It was also intended to be much smaller, something that could actually be slipped in a pocket. And by the way, Spock was originally supposed to be in disguise along with Kirk. Uh, The story is by D.C. Fontana, and uh, it was originally written with inspiration from the Pueblo incident. Have you heard of the Pueblo, Ken? I have not. Um, I'll give you a brief rundown here. That was a ship that was launched in 1944 um, as a cargo ship, and then it was commissioned by the Navy in 1966, and it was captured In January of 1968 so just weeks before the original draft of the script was written Uh, and it was a Navy intelligence ship aka a spy ship uh, that strayed into North Korean waters Uh, but it was officially stated by the US and her captain that they thought that they were in international waters Um, by the way that ship is still commissioned to this day and it is still in the hands of North Korea today Um, rescue of the Pueblo at the time was impossible, and there was a little, a little ship not too far away called the USS Enterprise <laughs> that was somewhat in range, that of course the aircraft carrier Enterprise, um, but the Pueblo was outmanned and outgunned by the Korean Navy that had deployed itself to go find the ship. Um, the Enterprise did show up the next morning and spotted the crew and the Pueblo uh, and had already planned a rescue mission, but it was told to stand down. Uh, the men who were on board the Pueblo were finally released from the North Koreans in December of 1968. Um, let's talk a little bit about the guest stars on this episode. Joanne Linville, who plays the Romulan commander, uh, was primarily a TV actor, and she was in everything from Alfred Hitchcock Presents to Studio One to Barnaby Jones and Hawaii 5.0. Um, also worth mentioning that Jack Donner, who played Tal, has been in everything. And I mean everything. He was in uh, the recent Clint Eastwood movie, J. Edgar. He was in the TV show Reno 911 on multiple episodes. He played the judge in a TV miniseries about the Michael Jackson trial. Um, He was in many episodes. Actually, he has the record of guest star uh, episodes uh, under his belt of Mission Impossible. And we have to mention that because it's so apropos of this particular episode of Star Trek. And there is a lot of crossover with Mission Impossible. Of course, you have Leonard Nimoy, who went on to be on Mission Impossible after Trek. Um, But behind the scenes as well, people like John D.F. Black, who is a story editor on Trek, also uh, contributed to Mission Impossible. And, of course, Herb Solo, who is the executive in charge of production at Mission Impossible. And, uh, oh, by the way, another guest star, Ken, that you may have recognized, uh, Sargon, or Nomad, or or in this case, Sarmad or Nogon. But yes, he, both of them, are standing in for the Romulan cloaking device.
0: Before you ask, Ken recorded his half of this week's episode in an echo chamber. Either that or he fell down a well. It must have been one of the two.
1: Prologue. Captain Cranky is Cranky. McCoy's medical log says he's worried about Kirk's stress level. On the bridge, Kirk's biting the heads off Chekhov, Spock, and the entire bridge crew. Oh, and let's go to the Romulan neutral zone. Now. With nervous looks, they head that way. Mr. Scott wants to know when they were ordered into the neutral zone. Uhura says they weren't. Despite nothing on sensors, three ships appear almost literally out of nowhere and surround the Enterprise as we head to opening credits. Act 1. Kirk tells Uhura to send a message to Starfleet about everything that's happened so far. This is less a call for help and more a message for posterity, however, since at this distance a message will take three weeks to get to Starfleet command. Meanwhile, Subcommander Tall of the Romulan fleet messages the Enterprise. Hello, Captain James T. Kirk whose name I know, of the Enterprise, the name of which I also know, surrender or die. Spock and Kirk chat for a second. They surmise that the Romulans want the Enterprise, otherwise the Enterprise would be in pieces. Tal's got a question, though. Is that, um, is that a Vulcan next to you, Captain James T. Kirk? Then he's interrupted by a beep from his commander. Tell you what, Kirk, you got an hour before we kill you. And if you want to talk, we'll be right here. Spock has a theory about how the Romulans were able to sneak up on them. He believes the Romulans may have developed a cloaking device, one that renders normal sensors useless. Oh, says Kirk, you mean like the one in Balance of Terror, used by the Romulan that looks kind of like your dad, Spock? Of course, Kirk does not say that. Maybe the Romulans have developed an amnesia device as well. This apparently new danger is a real one, With it, Kirk says the Romulans could attack in Federation territory before anybody knew they were there. Let's just hope they don't forget about it again. For now, though, Kirk sees but three options. Fight and see the Enterprise destroyed. Destroy the Enterprise themselves. They won't see that coming. Or surrender. Scotty argues against the last one, saying if the Enterprise is taken by the Romulans, they'll know everything there is to know about a starship. Spock is not interested in coming up with solutions, though. He dresses Kirk down in front of the other senior officers for taking them into the neutral zone without orders. Kirk's recklessness upsets McCoy, so Kirk kicks him out of the meeting. Subcommander T'Pol Tall calling. His commander would like to meet Kirk and Spock in person, please. So come on over. We'll send a couple of our guys over so you'll know you're safe. Kirk agrees and gives Scotty one last order. You were right about the Enterprise not falling into Romulan hands... If I don't come back, kill yourself. Well, you and everybody else. Blow up the Enterprise, is what I'm saying. Aboard the Romulan ship, Kirk and Spock meet the Romulan commander. He is a she. Awesome. Kirk will have his shirt off in no time. He offers pleasantries, but she's kind of bored by them. They have a lot to discuss. She kicks Spock out and asks Kirk what they're doing there. He says their instruments failed and they accidentally ended up in the neutral zone. She's not buying it. They are spying. And seriously, you expect me to buy this whole we got lost thing? If roles were reversed, what would you guys think? You know what? Save it. She calls Spock back in and gets a little dreamy around him. She had no idea there was a Vulcan first officer on the Enterprise. She's kind of into him. Romulans and Vulcans share a common ancestry, but you wouldn't get that, Kirk. Before she questions Spock, she reminds him that he is under oath. He's a Vulcan. Vulcans can't lie, so he's kind of always under oath. So, Mr. Spock, what is the Enterprise doing here? Since I can't lie, says Spock, I'd rather not say. So there is something, says the commander. No, there isn't, says Kirk. Yes, there is, says the commander. You've heard about our cloaking device, and you were here to see it. Or not see it, and in not seeing it, yeah, 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 you get the idea. Right. The commander's gonna have to torture Kirk to get the truth. That makes Spock spill. Kirk is cracked up. He's lost his ability to command. This whole thing was his idea and his idea alone. The foray into the Romulan neutral zone was for his glory. He is not sane. Sorry, Captain. Gotta tell the truth for the good of the Enterprise and the Federation. Kirk, held back by Romulan guards, yells that he'll kill Spock as we go to commercial. Act 2. The Romulan commander calls over to the Enterprise and recaps the show so far. Spock says Kirk did this on his own. You guys weren't sent here by Starfleet, so you guys are not responsible. Now follow us and we'll let you go. Without your ship, of course. And we're keeping your captain. Scotty calls over to the Romulans. We're not going to follow your orders, and if you try to board this ship, I'll kill myself. Well, me and everybody else. I'll blow up the Enterprise, is what I'm saying. Kirk holds insults at Spock as he's taking the lockup. Wow, says the commander, living and working with humans. How do you do it? So you've been with Starfleet for 18 years, you say? How are you not in command of a starship? You know Kirk's nuts, right? You're his second in command. So why don't you assume command of the Enterprise? And join the Romulan Empire? Spock points out that the commander wants the Enterprise, a point she does not deny. Still, this could work out for both of them. Tossed in the brig, Kirk tries immediately to run back out... Doing so, he hits a force field and falls like a fly hitting a bug zapper. McCoy beams over to check him out. He says Kirk will be okay, but it'll be a while. The commander goes to check out the situation with Spock in tow. By the way, we're having dinner tonight, Spock. Spock bristles. I mean, would you like to have dinner with me tonight, Mr. Spock? Spock says he'd be honored. Then he takes a random left and is told he's not allowed to go down that corridor. Maybe someday, though, he'll be allowed to go down any corridor he wants. But not today. Maybe one day, though. Wherever he wants. The commander and Spock get to McCoy and Kirk. Kirk is cracked up in McCoy's medical opinion. The commander says that means Spock should be in command. Kirk rushes Spock, ranting again that he's going to kill him. But Spock instinctively uses the Vulcan death grip on Kirk. The captain is dead. Act 3. The captain is, of course, not dead, though everyone is led to believe he is. You can see, then, why Nurse Chapel would be freaked out when Kirk's eyes pop open. No, McCoy wasn't in on it, but he figured it out once he got over to the Romulan ship. Kirk and Spock were acting on orders of the Federation, but it had to look like Kirk was nuts and acting on his own in case things went south. By the way, there is no Vulcan death grip. It was just a heavy nerve pinch. Good thing the Romulans didn't know that. And if they didn't start cutting Kirk open as soon as he dropped dead. By the way, I'm still dead as far as anybody knows, says Kirk. Cool? Cool. Mr. Scott is called to sick bay. There he sees an alive, pointy eared, big eyebrowed Captain Kirk. Now all he needs is a Romulan uniform from one of the Romulan Enterprise Exchange prisoners if Scotty would do the honors. On board the Romulan ship, the commander is plying Spock with Vulcan food, blue drinks. Is that a glass of Tranya? and a purring suggestive recruitment pitch. By the way, I am very hot for you, Spock. Now go take over the Enterprise. Tell you what, says Spock. Let's do that in an hour. Meanwhile, let's use that hour for some seriously sensual hand-holding. Maybe a little face-rubbing, too. Kirk can no longer wait to hear back from Spock. He beams aboard the Romulan ship dressed as a centurion. He bluffs his way past one guard, overpowers another, and finds the Romulan cloaking device with help from a short communication with Mr. Spock. Meanwhile, the commander and Spock are having a real sensual, romantic moment that's interrupted by Subcommander Tall. He's detected a communicator conversation on the ship, and it came from the commander's quarters. Spock indicates that it was him. The commander realizes that she's been played. Kirk is probably trying to steal the cloaking device, which he is, and he does, beaming out just before the commander arrives. The commander is hurt. What is Spock, that he could do this to her? First officer of the Enterprise, he answers. So, how am I going to die? Act 4. Scotty is working on installing the Romulan's cloaking device on the Enterprise, and he's got 15 minutes to do it. Also, pick out Spock's life signs on the Romulan ship, Mr. Chekhov, and beam him out. The commander tells Spock that the death about which he asked earlier will be both painful and unpleasant. Okay, says Spock, but I do get the right of statement first, don't I? That's apparently a thing among the Romulans. Should take Spock, ooh, 20 minutes? Settle in for a bit of blah, blah, blah. Kirk's annoyed that Chekhov is having trouble pinpointing Spock. Wow, the commander was right. Kirk doesn't understand the shared ancestry of the Romulans and Vulcans. Chekhov finally locates Spock, though, and beams him out. Only he's not alone. The Romulan commander grabbed onto him as he was beaming away. They are both now on the Enterprise. The Enterprise turns and warps away at warp nine. Spock and the commander make their way to the bridge. Kirk contacts subcommander Tall. Kirk figures he's got Tall over a barrel until the commander yells an order to Tall to blow up the Enterprise. Now it's a race. Will the Romulans catch up to the Enterprise before Scotty gets the cloaking device hooked up? No. The Enterprise goes invisible and evades Romulan fire. The Romulans may eventually come up with a way to track cloaked ships, but they don't have one now. The Romulan commander asks to be sent to the brig, though Kirk says Spock will show her to her quarters. On the way, Spock confesses that all that stuff that happened in her quarters on her ship, that was real. So, yeah. The end.
2: Ken, you made it so passionate. I, this is uh, now, now I'm looking at this episode with new eyes just, just after that.
1: Oh, come on. You saw that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I saw right, that. good. I <laughs> say, maybe I was... Did I dream part of it? Did I forget <laughs> many things? Because, so you know, there's a lot of that. You, you know what's funny, though? I, I
2: just... I, I'm thinking that this is the second time now that uh, uh, Kirk has faked his death, uh, and I think with the whole confusion about Spock lying, is he not lying? Like, he should just be used to it now. It's like, yeah... That's a thing that he does. He dies, and <laughs> he comes back. <laughs> you know. Well,
1: it, it's fascinating to me how much the Romulans and and the Vulcans know about each other, but how much they don't know at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they have the, the common ancestry. By the way, shout out to whoever it was in um, Bread and Circuses. I can't remember. I can't remember anybody's name. But the proconsul, you know, saying the Merrick. Sorry, I yeah. can't remember somebody's name. The conversations of men would not interest you. Right. Yeah, I got that off the commander when she was talking about the common ancestry between uh, uh, Kirk and I mean, excuse me between uh, Vulcans and Romulans. Yeah, which was the whole thing about yeah no we've got a bond. You wouldn't get it, human. You know. <laughs> right. And I thought, well, that's right. that's really dismissive. And then it turns out later when he's like, come on, there's one Vulcan on there, and Chekhov's like, they are practically identical to Romulans. <laughs> you yes. you look in the mirror.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And speaking of looking in the mirror, oh, that, that makeup. Um, so, do you remember when Bond, James Bond, went undercover in uh, You Only Live Twice? I and, absolutely do not. Okay. So, in You Only Live Twice, he is trying to fight, he's teamed up with uh, Tiger Tanaka, and they're off to try to find Blofeld's secret uh, hidden lair in the volcano in the Japanese countryside. And how do they do it? Well, they make up Bond, and we're talking about six-foot-two Sean Connery as a Japanese man. And it just kind of doesn't work. He looks like Sean Connery with William Shatner's makeup in this episode. Um, so,
1: a bit like, um, a bit like um, Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. Mm, He's supposed yeah. to be something, but you can't really tell what he is. I mean, although right. Ben Kingsley's makeup was fine because he was something right <laughs> right yeah yeah
2: but in this to be very specific and it, it, yeah i i would think this might be a hit to the egos of the romulans because now that you know, they have the whole shared ancestry thing but now it's just like oh well we just look like humans with makeup
0: no, <laughs> no, no, no. it doesn't look
1: as good on humans i, I like oh, that well, out of the yeah. recap but at the end of it spock's like please go get your ears taken care of because they're hurting my eyes that's true. They, that's they true. don't look right on humans, you know, as if, yeah. as if, I mean, that that's that's the big, that and the eyebrows are the big difference. Yeah. And I guess maybe a little bit of a green collar, but otherwise, yeah, I don't know.
2: But this is, this is important when you're casting either Vulcans or Romulans, you, you mean, know, somebody they, they have little, to look right.
1: Somebody who's a little green around the gills. Yeah. You're saying? <laughs> Exactly. I, I got a question what what is scotty so worried about if they get the enterprise i understand that you don't want to let your ship fall into the hands of the enemy but scotty says if the romulans get the enterprise then they'll know everything there is to know about a starship yeah they know how to hide a starship <laughs> right in front of you i don't think the romulans are going oh i can't wait to crack that nut what is that is that like two engines on the outside hmm two <laughs> engines interesting yeah. Maybe I'll make my ship invisible, sneak up behind them and study the two engines. No, yes, they're going to learn a lot from the Enterprise. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I. but again, I understand there are good reasons not to let your ship, you know, fall into enemy hands. Just like, hey, here's an idea, Captain Kirk. There are good reasons not to let the, you know, commander of a ship that you're opposing onto your bridge. Mm-hmm. Call yeah. me crazy. But, you know, when, when when she comes on the bridge and she gets there and he doesn't even send security. Oh, no. You know, no. somebody was beaming onto the bridge in last week's episode, and he called for security before it even got there. But then he hears that, like, you know, this person with whom he's been facing off, this person who was ready to kill him and blow up his ship, has just beamed onto the ship. He's like, ah, bring her up. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Well, we, he's being nice. He's he's, being that, you know, he is being very cordial. He
1: it, being, if only he had
2: just offered her a nice, tall, cool glass of Tranya.
1: I don't know if you noticed actually, it's kind of weird. Um, Trania doesn't come in tall classes. I'm thinking that is incredibly potent stuff that you and I need to get together and try. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It is truly exciting when an episode of Star Trek includes the Enterprise. It's almost as unusual as when an episode of The Love Boat includes The Love Boat. Oh,
1: John. We get to welcome a few old friends back in this episode. Oh, the Romulans? Uh, The Romulans, sure. Uh, Their cloaking device. Maybe the crew of the Enterprise doesn't remember it. I do. Mm -hmm. I think most people watching it do. I wonder actually how frustrated people were watching the third season. People had been watching it from the beginning. I yeah. wonder if that was like, you know, was this like another assignment or a thing? We've gone back five years and forgotten everything that happened. So <laughs> look at this new thing we found, uh, uh, you know, this, right? Um, yeah. And the other, the other old friend we kind of get to, we just get to wave to in this episode is, uh, is, mm-hmm. is uh, sexism. Oh, yeah, oh, I know, it's been a while. And I'm not sure honestly, there's something I'm not sure that it is actually a sexist thing, but there is something that's going on. First of all, huge props to whomever for, I guess DC Fontana for writing the the commander as a woman.
2: That's it's the first time we have seen a starship commander who is a woman in Star Trek.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. But she either has to be a commander or she has to be a woman. She can't be both. As evidenced by the fact, you know, like, like she tells her name and they do the thing again. Apparently, that's another thing that the Romulans and the Vulcans have in common. You're not allowed to hear their first name. Right. <laughs> right. They can yeah. pronounce them. and That's cool. And Spock is actually, you know, hip enough to, you know, what she's saying to say, wow, the, your name is really beautiful when you whisper it to me. So the camera and the people watching can't hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it sounds weird to hear something so beautiful from a soldier. And she says, oh, well, give me a minute. And the soldier will change into a woman,
2: and then there's a dramatic costume change.
1: Yeah, and it's a lovely yeah. costume change. Honestly, I thought, uh-huh. I thought she was she was a lovely woman throughout the uh, throughout the uh, throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing. Nothing overt. Nothing, you know. It it didn't get all leery and weird. Yeah, um, she was just a lovely woman all the way through. Uh, but I, there are some people I would imagine who would or will bristle at the idea that you know you can be either a person of power or a woman, but you can't be both. Like you know when you when you talk about men who are heroes you say he's a man's man you know mm. he can he can shoot a guy with one hand and and you know <laughs> do something with the other hand that he shouldn't do while he's you know shooting a guy with one hand point yeah. is you know you're a man if you're like you know you're the ceo or you're or you're the soldier or you're the you know superhero or whatever and then if you're a woman well okay so in the daytime she's this but at night you know it's like the right. Lee commercial, you know, she can put it on the bacon, <laughs> fry it up in a pan, but I never right. forget the romance, because, you know, she has these two things. Um, and it's not, it's not exactly sexist, it was just kind of interesting. I will say overall, though, props, because yeah. she, is a, um, she is a strong character for the most part.
2: And, and I, I don't disagree with your assessment entirely. I, I will just kind of, to be devil's advocate, though, say that, at least we get both sides and at least we get a multifaceted character here we only see this character through the eyes of the Enterprise crew and we only see it for this moment on the show it's interesting I I left it out of trivia but uh, there were plans to bring back this character in Next Gen and uh, it didn't work out uh, rehiring the actress but um, we may have then seen more about this character which would have been really really cool um,
1: that would be so. very interesting. And mm-hmm. let me go ahead and head off a couple of things now. I'm not saying that this is sexist necessarily. I'm saying it's sort of an interesting examination of that. Because you've got, mm-hmm. you've got another thing going on with that character and with these characters. Um, uh, Spock and the commander in particular. Um, yeah. They're lonely. They don't yeah. have anybody, you know, they don't have, neither of them has anybody with whom they can really connect. Um, I was actually reminded of stuff that we've heard, and yes, tromping all over the timeline, because it is what we do. Um, <laughs> I've, heard, um, I've heard Kate Mulgrew talk about the fact that she wanted to make sure that Janeway did not end up with any of the subordinates on Voyager, that she wanted yeah. to make sure that, that, that Janeway did not end up having a romantic relationship with anybody on the ship, because that might sort of, um, you know, weaken her stance, uh, certainly with the crew. But then, you know, overall, it sends the wrong message to the viewing public that, you know, oh, well, right. this, you know this has to happen. Um, so you kind of see the commander you know, sort of examine that idea. And we also get to see that softer side of Spock that we haven't seen since um, the show that I hate. This Side of Paradise. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't hate it. since This Side of Paradise where he was, you know, he had been in love and then he's allowed to let his guard down. This is really only the second time that he's been allowed to let his guard down and do that. Now, yeah. we can go into whether or not he was doing that. You know to do that or if he was doing it you know in aid of what the what the Federation was trying to do we might get to that in a minute but I mean it is it is still sort of an interesting examination of not just being set apart because you're a woman in power but also just you know what it's like for somebody who is set apart for whatever reason you know be that the commander as a woman in power or you know Spock and just his sort of you know loneliness of the long-distance Vulcan.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Spock so often seems to be sort of resigned to himself mm-hmm. that his life is is pretty difficult. <laughs> you know that that he, he is just dedicated to the job. Um, you know, you you speak very often about his uh, dedication to the chain of command. Um, uh, obviously, we've explored his half-human, half Vulcan conflict. Although in this. He says, and we have to take everything that he says uh, in this episode with a grain of salt, uh, because we don't know necessarily when he is lying and when he's telling the truth, uh, that he considers himself to be Vulcan. That, that That is that is how he identifies himself, is purely as Vulcan, when she's well, kind of pushing him.
1: You know. We've always seen that, though. I mean, he's always been sort of embarrassed by the human side, even when he's talking to his human mother. Mm-hmm. And that's true, you know, both in the original series and, you know, later in the movies when he's like, you know, sure. being retrained to be half human and half Vulcan. He's like, why am I wasting my time with the half human bit?
2: <laughs> right. Well, and, and we've seen what this does to him and his family, at least so far as we've seen it in, uh, in the original series. Yeah. His, shall we say strained relationship with his mother and father?
1: Yeah. Well, especially his father, who looks exactly like the guy who had the cloaking device that Spock has forgotten about.
2: Well, you know, they have a shared ancestry. They do. They do. That's, <laughs> that's why. That is exactly
1: why. They may actually be cousins. That's how, you know, shared <laughs> their ancestry right. is. But, you know, another thing right. for another time, I suppose. I, yeah. I, do you want to do more of the spot character evaluation or do you want to do the show part? Because I think if you're coming to this episode looking for, you know, really deep philosophical whatever, I, I would suggest instead that you just, you know, try to enjoy the show. Because, yeah. because there's not like there's no save the whales there's no there there aren't the heavy messages like in you know, Trouble with Troubles or certainly you know. <laughs> right. there is a distinct lack of robot life in this episode as well so yeah. I yeah. mean you're not you're not coming to this for that and yet it is kind of an interesting study I think especially about Spock
2: yeah well, it, it, we definitely get character moments about Spock. We we don't always get those. We we kind of have to put those pieces together. But yeah, the the show is kind of an anomaly. Um, we have said before that the original series was treated like an anthology show, where you have the same characters, but. The adventures that they have from week to week do not tie to each other. Uh, clearly, we don't reference things that have happened in the past. And this would have been a great episode to do that. Yeah. Uh, but they don't do that. No, th- this is the spy show. This is Star Trek doing Mission Impossible. And it- it's kind of cool when-, when shows get to step out of themselves and do something a little bit different but let's look at it, you have the, the false premise, you have the fake death you have the fake seduction you have the double cross uh, it, it feels out of step and um, you know, I feel like there's not really any attempt at resolution here um, and here's why, you know, the, the Romulans I assume, they built the thing they've got the plans for it <laughs> you know, so it's not like they can't go create another one right. um, you, you know, especially since they already had another cloaking device in another episode. Um, so, you know, you can't really ask big questions about what the what the end game here, what what the the point is. But it does raise some interesting questions about Starfleet and about uh, the Federation and all of the relationships therein. Um, Spock says he swore an oath to protect the security of the Federation. So it's sort of like if you look at the Federation as the UN and then the and then Starfleet as sort of the uh, the forces of the UN you know um, it, it's some very interesting political lines here and it made me wonder first and foremost where did they get their orders where did Kirk and Spock get their orders and how did they come up with this I mean did, did Kurt calls Spock down to his quarters one day and say, okay, I'm going to act crazy <laughs> and uh, here's how it's going to go. You're going to go along with it and Spock saying, I don't lie. And No, 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 but, but hear me out. You're going to lie about this, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's your job. So there's an interesting point here at which Spock has to decide his inability to lie is outweighed by his loyalty to Starfleet. Talk about a dedicated guy. Was there ever any kind of moral quandary there? Was there any problem? There are places in this episode where he has some kind of way to weasel around addressing whether or not he's actually lying particularly that last scene where we get to see him with the Romulan commander and there's kind of that wink and nudge about what may have really been going on emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other moments where he's just outright lying.
1: Well, I mean, and you kind of have to choose when you're going to believe and when you're not. Like, I really do, as I said a minute ago, I actually do believe that what happened between them was real. I think this is an interesting study of Spock. Sadly, I don't think it's necessarily the best. It doesn't necessarily say the best things about Spock. We talked in um, the first season uh, or maybe it was the second season. When was Doomsday Machine? Was that first or second? That was second season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked during the Doomsday Machine about the fact that Spock is perfectly willing to let Decker destroy the Enterprise. He knows yeah. that what they're about to do is going to get the Enterprise destroyed, but he also knows that Decker is higher above him in the Chamber of the Command, so he'll listen to what Decker says. Now, when Kirk then comes in and says, hey, take over the Enterprise, Spock, Okay, Decker is still higher in the chain of command, I believe, than Kirk is. I can't remember if it was because Sir Kirk was sick at that point, but there's some reason that that shouldn't have worked. But somebody else has the force of will to say, Spock, do what I say. Mm-hmm. And why Spock doesn't, I don't know. And we sort of come back to this again. I mean, either it's just, I mean, either the, the, the Vulcans are sort of akin to the Bene Gesserit, you know, and they just like put out this idea that they don't lie. Even though they, you know, they really do. But let's tell everybody that we don't. Kind of like you and me in the timeline. Let's yeah, is. Let's tell everybody that you know, Vulcans don't lie. But seriously, we're going to lie whenever we need to. Right. It's either right. that or somebody with a stronger personality comes in and says, you know. You know, Spock, you're gonna lie, and Spock says, well, "Vulcans don't lie." And Kirk says, "Yeah, but you're gonna." And Spock's yeah. like, "Yes, sir. Let me get a pen." <laughs> right. And and that is the
2: plan. Okay, the whole plan is we we lie just so that there's some plausible deniability among the crew. I mean, at, at that point, it really wouldn't matter either. If they're gonna get killed or not. Yeah. Um. And then the plan is get caught go steal the thing that we're not quite sure exists uh at least in this form and we hope that it works we hope we can hook it up to our computer to our engineering so we can use it to escape because otherwise we got no plan
1: yeah in 15 minutes or less by the way yes also i would love to know i mean is there ever a ship meeting afterwards when they get you know safely back to federation space is there ever a time for anybody to go, so, no, 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 I like how it worked out that you took us into enemy territory and made us all think you were nuts. <laughs> right. And then, right. luckily, the way you, you know, wanted to get us back, got us back. But just so we're clear.
2: Yeah, because Scotty's pretty relieved. He's just like, oh, uh, that's, that's my captain faking his death again. <laughs> right, right. okay will <laughs>
1: Oh, but don't worry, I won't tell the other 430 people who are currently afraid that they're about to be evaporated by three <laughs> Romulan ships that this is all part of a cunning plan. No, 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 no. Let's leave them on the hook for a while, what do you say?
2: Right, right. All and right. It, you just have to hope that that cloaking device has the same operating system as, uh, as the Enterprise computer.
1: Because yeah. c- c- we- Can we also do one more crazy thing? So then Kirk yeah. shows up on the bridge of the Enterprise as a Romulan oh, when dear. they're in Romulan space... I know, and I know we're all supposed to go, oh, look, he's disguised as a Romulan. Is there any chance that anybody say that guy who went nuts on Spock during Balance of Terror, is there any (laughs) chance that some character's going to go, okay, so is the captain a human pretending to be a Romulan or has he always been a Romulan <laughs> pretending to be a human because now he's showing his Romulan face while we're in Romulan space. There's so much bad idea. There's so <laughs> much bad idea about this plan. Well, okay, i mean, and, and I'm sorry. They, and forgive me. Let me put plan in quotes. There's so much bad idea about this plan.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, then think about it that as soon as Kirk is back on the bridge, but he's still got the Romulan look going on and he gets tall on the view screen. And Tall, I'm surprised that the line didn't go like this, like, you know, we are going to destroy it. Hey, are you just making fun of us now? (laughs) (laughs) You you know, because that that just that's just inappropriate. You know, that's kind of what it seemed like.
0: With the Romulans in the rearview mirror. Time now to figure out what we can take away from the Enterprise incident.
2: Well, here we are, Ken, at that point in the show where we do what we do, which is to pick apart what we just watched, what we just talked about, and figure out if there are morals, meanings, and messages. I think we kind of already said it. This really isn't that episode. You know, it's not, it's not that it's a bad episode. We'll, we'll kind of give our judgment here in a moment, but... Um, we can't really go into this expecting the "you see Timmy" moment. This is Star Trek doing Mission Impossible, and it's all about the game. And uh, this is an episode that I remember seeing before as a kid, and just remembering it as the episode where Kirk has the pointed ears. Yeah, but you know, so maybe that reveal has lost its punch. But you got to go back and watch it, and what you are now watching for is kind of the the Spock psychology. I think mean, that's the more interesting thing here that, that we really hit on the head. Who is he? What, what is in it for him? What are his motivations? Um, the way that he is either playing or played by the Romulan commander, I thought was very interesting. Um, what could you use to actually seduce Spock out of his position? You know, like, is that really good enough to say, well, you've been with Starfleet 18 years and I don't see you with a ship of your own. Can you really appeal to the ego of a Vulcan? Was this just badly thought out by the commander? Or is that something that could have, would have worked on Spock under different circumstances or another Vulcan under different circumstances? Um, I found all of that interplay to be an interesting thing to conceptualize. But, of course, the good guys have to win at the end.
1: Well, I don't think any of it... I mean, I I jokingly put plan in quotes earlier, but so much of what they planned to do uh, hinged on luck. The the Romulans didn't know that the Enterprise had Spock as a second-in-command, which surprises me, considering how much else they know about the Enterprise. But okay. Right. The Romulans didn't know that um, the Enterprise had a Vulcan as second-in-command. Uh, Kirk and Spock did not know that the Romulan commander with which they would be tangling uh, was a woman.
2: And, and, that, and you know that that must have disappointed Kirk as soon as uh, Spock and she had the connection.
1: As soon as he's dismissed? Well, yeah. Well, except it was always part of the plan that Kirk is going to die and come back. So maybe they actually did know that it was a woman, but I was under the impression that they didn't know that. At yeah. which point, I guess if it had been a male, yeah. There's I mean, <laughs> what's what's the best way to put this? Enjoy this episode. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> right. It's a great episode if you want to study Spock, and yeah. it's kind of a neat episode if you want to know a little bit more about the Romulans than we've known in the past. Although, if you want to really steely, you know, look at the Romulans, go back to Balance of Terror.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But um, I'm a little disturbed by this, though, because it, you know I, I brought it up just for a moment to say where do the orders come from that yeah. tell Spock they have to go do this? Because now we're presented with this idea of Starfleet acting in this mode as sort of uh, spy masters. You know that that's a little strange. That that is not the uh, that's not the direction that we've been given about Starfleet up until now. So um, I find that to be a little A little confusing a little disturbing i think we may just end up with some star trek later on where we get a little more of that uh, cloak and dagger spy stuff
1: i was going to (laughs) say my my guess is that the orders came from admiral marcus (laughs) yeah and you know maybe one day we will have met him in the past
2: maybe (laughs) who knows who knows
1: so okay so no message no moral no meaning does the show hold up as far as you're concerned
2: but well, hold on. Before we even say that, though, I, I want to ask you, is there even just the, the hint of a moral and message here? Um, Spock has this great line at the end. Military secrets are the most fleeting of all. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, we come up with a new weapon. The enemy comes up with a weapon that trumps that one. And it's just, this endless cycle where we're going to keep doing that. And yeah, we keep doing it because it's kind of our job, but really it's it's fruitless at a certain point. But did Spock kind of have this, uh, well, dare I use the word human, breakthrough with the commander in something that we've seen before about enemies needing to see each other as people? Now, under this context, they're playing each other. They're acting as spies. We have to question everything that happens as an emotional moment or a motivation. But maybe there's a, a glimmer of something there.
1: There may be a glimmer of something there, but the problem that I'm having is if you want that, there are two better episodes that you can go to. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you want to do the whole, you know, you've got this weapon, so now I have to have this weapon. You've got another one, so I've got to have another one. Then see A Private Little War. Of course. And if you want to go to the viewing our enemy as, you know, people, uh, go to Balance of Terror. Yeah. I I mean, it's not bad. And, yeah, I guess you could sort of call out to those. And just based on what you just said a moment ago, I can go ahead and give you a third one. Way to, way to put out something that you really can't control. Yeah. As we record this, we're, what, two and a half years, I guess, after the earthquake and tsunami in Japan, mm-hmm. and we're just two and a half years later getting word that the Fukushima nuclear power plant is a bigger disaster than, than we were led to believe that it was. Now, I'm not making a pro-nuke or anti-nuke anything, all right? I will say that kind of got away from people. Yeah. And, and it's not like you're ever going to have anything that's 100% safe. But what do the Romulans do? The Romulans have a cloaking device, and let's just you know cross our fingers that nobody ever gets this, because we have no idea how to track a cloaking device either. Right. And so the big loss is not the fact that, well, now they have our cloaking device and we don't have any anymore. The big loss is, well, great, now the Federation has cloaking devices too. Oh, don't worry, yeah. they'll forget they have cloaking devices. <laughs> right. It's apparently a thing that happens with cloaking devices where the Federation is concerned. But I mean, if you want to try to apply that kind of thing, and I know it's the kind of thing we do, if you want to try to apply that thing, yeah, maybe walking around with something that you cannot, in fact, control and trying to use it against somebody else, not necessarily the best idea.
2: But it's just kind of just like a, a rule of engagement, though. You have to, like, okay. Apparently, cloaking devices just grow on trees at this period. You know, you can just go steal one from another ship, and you can replicate it. And I, they're they're just they're going to be out there. But does the Federation then have some sort of rule that says, "Well, no, we do not use cloaking devices because," and and they just go from there. And that's one of those things. This is a technology that has the potential to be abused. So. It is forbidden, and we can't well, do anything about what the Romulans do with it.
1: Well, maybe, although you just hinted at the possibility that there is a secret military wing of the Federation that's making these kinds of orders, so... I'm just saying maybe. maybe. Yeah, I know you're just saying maybe, but <laughs> so maybe there are always Federation battlecruisers out there that we don't uh-huh. see, because oh, we do know that we do have a cloaking device at this point, and now we're just... We are, we're retconning, we're writing our own novels, we're doing all that stuff, <laughs> But I mean, you know, as long as you're going to throw out that possibility. So, yeah, I mean, maybe this opens up a. Maybe there is no mirror universe. Maybe this is just like, <laughs> like secret ships that are flying alongside the Enterprise everywhere they go. You're blowing my mind.
2: Uh, right. All right. So, the, the episode holding up uh, as you had posed it. Um, kind of yeah i i think you have to get over the uh the the bizarre look of the kirk romulan makeup you have to get over the idea of the plan not really being a plan at all Mm -hmm. um he's hinging upon a lot of luck um kind of the beauty of mission impossible is that that show is always a couple of steps ahead of you this one eh, you know that kirk's not dead so the show is not ahead of you in that respect um So I also find that the the look of this is very strange. I thought the look of the Romulan ship in in Balance of Terror, because, of course, we were in the Romulan Bird of Prey. Now we're in this Klingon ship, um, just because of the constraints of budget. Obviously, it's a lot of those Enterprise wall panels moved around and relit um, with a little more set dressing. So it's not really alien. It's not really great looking, so from a production values point of view eh, I'm kind of on the fence about it Um, I I think Joanne Linville is great, I think it's a meaty character, and all the stuff between her and Spock holds up very well, because as a Spock character piece, this is a very good episode, as an episode on its own just, just as a whole I'm not totally sold on it Um, Although, as an episode compared to the most recent episode, the beginning of season three, Spock's Brain, I think this holds up pretty well compared to that. But it's not the best of Star Trek that we've seen so far.
1: Well, it's not the best of Star Trek, but everything can't be. I will say the only thing that I had to let go of was the fact that they didn't remember that there was a cloaking device. And that was as hard for me as, you know, when, when the flag came out in the Omega Glory for you. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. It wasn't like I couldn't watch after that, but I found that frustrating because we have had a whole episode hinged on the fact that the Romulans have a cloaking device. So then to act surprised, the next time I think you see the Romulans, they have a cloaking device, really kind of took me out of it a bit. Now, once I was finally able to get myself over that, then the rest of it kind of took me. I like the fact that it is a Spock examination piece. I mean, when you say you're not sure it's the best that Star Trek has to offer, mm-hmm. well, I mean, it's not. You know, I mean, there's no Kirk speech, and there's no you know questioning our space in the universe or our space and you know in in society. But it's a, I mean, it's a great examination of, of the Spock character, and it's kind of fun to see the Romulans, even if it's not the best ship in the world, or even if the you know even if the look of it might be a tiny bit off. Mm-hmm. If you can get over, I think if you can get over the. Um, if you can get over the uh the the cloaking device thing, then I think you get a pretty good episode here. I mean it's you know it's in the middle. it's not as you say it's not the best, but it's far from the worst.
2: yeah, well, and if you can get over those uh pointed ears and pointy eyebrows on Shatner, I think you can uh, <laughs> you can accept it a little bit more. It's just uh, it, it's one of those indelible images from my childhood seeing that thinking, why 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 did they do this?
1: All right, he looks like he <laughs> belongs on a box
2: of lucky charms, but otherwise <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise. Really great episode.
1: <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, he looks fine,
2: I think. Okay, cool. Well, Ken, uh, you remember what happened last time when we looked at uh, the other side of paradise, but next week, we're going to look at the paradise syndrome.
0: the music for the mission log provided by warp 11 online at warp11.com and from the album messages by key theory free to download at ki could we be lucky enough to have an incident involving the enterprise next week too download and find out And transmission. Now leaving nerdist.com